We want to tell entrepreneurs that if you have a dream, we're here to support you and help you along the path, whether it be social or for-profit, it doesn't matter to us. Understanding the local cultural nuances is extremely important, which is why, you know, UNs of the world can do big things in some places, but get it very wrong in other places. And the idea was always that the more you have, the more responsibility you have for the rest of the world. Welcome to the Beyond Capital Podcast. In our purpose-driven world, leadership is increasingly crucial. We are bringing you the stories of leaders that are marrying profit with purpose. I'm Eva Yazari, CEO of Beyond Capital. And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Appreciate. Together, Eva and I have built and invested in businesses worth millions. We want to show you how social impact can exist in a company's operations, product, and culture, sometimes unexpectedly. We hope you walk away knowing the possibilities of impact for you and feeling inspired by the potential to do good. This is the Beyond Capital Podcast. Today's guest is Anurag Jain. Anurag is the chairman and CEO of Access Healthcare, which has over 13,000 employees in India, the U.S., and the Philippines. He is also the co-founder and managing partner of Perot Jane, a venture capital firm. Anurag is on the board of several companies, global think tanks, and nonprofit organizations. He was previously a vice president at Dell. Welcome, Anurag. It is so great to have you today. Hey, Eva, and thank you so much for having me. Super excited. Yeah, we are too. So you have been involved in a number of large organizations spanning several sectors in your career. I always find this really fascinating. And before we dive into each of these areas of impact, I wanted to ask, have you always thought of yourself as an entrepreneur? And also, have you always been motivated by social impact or whatever impact might mean to you? Yeah, that's a fascinating question, Eva. I think I became an entrepreneur because I thought I was not a very good employee. And so I said, if I can't work for somebody, then I probably have to go create a company where I can fit into. I guess I was a misfit in larger companies, at least at the beginning of my career. And that's why I went to building companies. On the social side, you know, I grew up in India where poverty was in my face, but also along with that was sort of this whole ability to, in, to innovate to always having to innovate because you didn't have enough. So you have sort of this poverty and innovation together. And then I spent my formative years in the US where I saw you know, unbelievable entrepreneurship and the, and the mood and the thinking was, I can go solve any problem in the world. And for me, social impact is really bringing those two things together. Have there been any major themes that really tie together your impact focused projects or are they just sort of things that you happen to come across and, and dive into? Let me step back and sort of give you my thesis and then we'll talk about the project itself. Very simplistic, when we said we're going to go out and build companies, we said we're going to apply entrepreneurship to social problems and try to create for-profit businesses, not for the creation of profit as much as to create sustainability. And you guys know this better than I do, right? You invest in companies like that. But then we had a simple thesis and the thesis was the top billion people or maybe 500 million people get served by the largest Western companies. They're big brands and they know how to serve them well. You're seeing a group of Chinese, Indian and Korean, South Korean companies that serve the next 2 billion for the next set of brands. Most of us in Western America haven't even heard those brands, but if you go to rural India, rural Africa, those brands are big. Together, these companies serve about three, three and a half billion people. 
the other three and a half billion people are completely unserved. And so we thought there's a market there. Those people are more loyal. And if you look at their percentage of, of their per, per earning capacity they spend on the products and you and I spend on like housing, like healthcare, it's higher. And they are more brand loyal. So why is it that companies haven't been able to penetrate that market? So that was the original thinking of how to build companies that can go after that market space. That's fascinating. And certainly an area that dovetails with my work. In thinking about your community leadership work, but also your business work, where have you really seen the greatest influence of, of that type of business? Was it as being chair of Access Healthcare, or is it more in kind of the work that you've done with other organizations on the nonprofit side? It is both, right? So, you know, I believe that no leader in their for-profit world can solely focus on just that world. The world is changing too quickly. And we thought about this seven years ago, at least the last year, year and a half have shown that to everybody, that you have to be socially focused, you have to be locally focused, you have to be thinking about community and just thinking about the for-profit world is not enough. So in all of our businesses, we were always trying to integrate the, what I would say, what people call the nonprofit world, but I would just say community focus into all of our organizations. The first check we got for Access Healthcare was 10 years ago, and I still remember it was a $10,000 check from the first customer that we got. The first thing we did is we went and bought 500 burgers from McDonald's and served people in Chicago on the streets, because that is how important it was to serve the community in all of our businesses. So speaking of food, you've been really active in the food bank, the North Texas Food Bank. And I know this has been incredibly important in both the COVID times, at normal times, and then also probably most recently during this storm. What's it been like to be so involved with the food bank during this incredible year? A very humbling experience and a very revealing experience. And, you know, I, I I'll tell you different dimensions of it. Let me go back a little bit and tell you. So I came from India to the U.S. I got into the uh, rat race, I would call it, of going out and doing stuff. And you can get sucked into that in this country very easily. I think I got sucked in. I remember walking to my office about 10 years ago and having to let go of six employees. The sixth employee started crying and he looked at me and said, I've worked for this company for 40 years. I don't think I'll be able to pay my mortgage next, next month. And I walked out of the office just struck by that statement. I got on the phone, was driving back to my home and talking to my wife and complaining about my day, frankly. And I got stuck on the high five. If you guys remember, 635 and 75 were being constructed and you always got stuck every day. <laughs> and I looked up and I saw this gigantic board and there was a picture of a man. To me, the man looked exactly like the person I just fired. And it said, you know, job today, hungry tomorrow. And it struck me, I said, uh, you know, please donate to the North Texas Food Bank. And that's how I got connected to the North Texas Food Bank. When I made the phone call, I was surprised to learn that right here in our community before COVID, one in seven people didn't get enough uh, food to eat. They didn't know where their next meal was coming from. That astounded me. That statistic in one of the richest communities in the country astounded me. I have been involved with them. I will tell you the last year has been unbelievable. We have had to grow by almost 50% in one year, wow. which is unheard of. And I don't think we're fully serving the local marketplace. We've had to pull out every trick in the book. We had to invent a whole new charity to serve the food bank that I'll talk about later called Get Shift Done. But it's incredible how the community came together, how leaders gave us money. But what the food bank had to do was unbelievable in this last couple of years. That's really sad to hear and says a lot. And I think it, it, it also shows that you have a front 
row seat to what's really going on in the economy. And I think, you know, drawing on the threads about how you think about business and and social impact and business so intertwined. Would love to ask about just how else have you tackled some of the problems that you've seen over your career? You've also been involved with a low-income housing project. Can you tell us how that may have related to North Texas Food Bank or how you got involved in that area? So when we started thinking about social impact, this is a period in my life where I had um, a bill. I was running a $3 billion business for Dell. I decided that you know, I'd run my course of doing that, you know, 46 countries, 20,000 people. And I was burnt out at that point in time. And I wanted to leave and go back and help the community, but in a for-profit way, like I talked about, that was always my framework. At that point, we spent a lot of time analyzing the problems that were there and what solutions we could do. One of them was how do we provide housing? How do we provide housing to India and Africa? And we decided that the real price point people could afford is really a $200 house. So we said, okay, we started with the price point that people could afford. Remember, my model, we have to serve these people in the ability that they can handle it. So what can they afford? What do they need? And then we have to work backwards with the innovation to find the product that can fit their needs. So we went to Mexico to find the roofing material. We went around the world to find the walls material. And we constructed this house actually in Pasadena, California, and built the whole technology, integrated the technology to come up with the $200 house. Then we did a couple of experiments in India and got going. It was fascinating. We built, you know, I don't know, 500, 600 different houses. The company was called World House. It was a partnership with a think tank and uh, think tank and an incubator in California called Idea Lab. I want to make sure they get the credit as well. And we started going out and building these houses. And the project was moderately successful. It was not wildly successful. And I will tell you, I learned something from that project. And that was, we built a low cost house that was perceived by the local community as a low cost house. And a person that is aspiring to get beyond where their means are is not looking to live in a project or a low cost house. They need it to be an aspirational house. This is the same reason that Tata's in India built a $2,000 car and it was a failure because people perceive that to be a low cost car. And people that are aspiring for a car don't want to just get a low cost car or don't want to live in a project. So we had to learn, we had to pivot, we had to change the model and build a more customized house with different bells and whistles, which is slightly more expensive. Less people could get it, but more people wanted to aspire for it. So that was a fascinating learning experience. That's interesting. So you've accomplished a ton in a large range, a wide range of of areas, you know, from from Dell and Access and everything else. I mean, obviously, contributing beyond yourself fuels your satisfaction, but maybe you can give us a little deeper insight into how that actually manifests itself. You know, how do you draw upon that to find energy for for these initiatives and these programs? You know, I grew up to it. Um, I grew up in a community where you always had to do more. And I grew up in a house where we were told that we are fortunate and my parents who didn't have means, but they certainly had more means as I grew through it. And the idea was always that the more you have, the more responsibility you have to the rest of the world. So I think it was ingrained in my psyche. The second thing is that it is unbelievable the, the return on investment that you get 
when you look a customer in the eye and they've changed their world, either you've given them a healthcare where they didn't have it in a village, or you've given them a house where they could never afford one, or you've given them a job in COVID where we had to design a whole nonprofit who could find people jobs. And the, the look in their eye takes care of all of it and you have the energy to go do more. I think that's really powerful. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you was, you know, maybe what are some of the specific leadership qualities that you have had to bring perhaps from Access Healthcare and Perot Jane to working on these projects? I would love to, to know maybe the top three that you found to be most useful in all of your community work. And that's a very good question, Eva. And I will tell you that we have made a lot of mistakes to learn our way through that. We have sometimes got into social work without understanding that actually the same principles that apply to regular businesses apply there as well. Can I give you five instead of three? Because I've, I've categorized them in five, right? Um, Absolutely. So first is identify, but be extremely focused. I see one area of problems where social entrepreneurs try to bite off a bigger piece and they can chew. I think extreme focus is very important one. Second thing is people don't want a handout. They want to be a part of the solution. So find a way to enable people and make them part of whatever solution you're doing. I think that's pretty obvious, but it's surprising how many companies get it wrong. And I can give you example after example of how Large organizations get that wrong in different countries. Third thing is local flavor. Understanding the local cultural nuances is extremely important, which is why the, the larger you know, UNs of the world can do big things in some places, but get it very wrong in other places, because you really have to understand that local culture and how it sort of fits and morphs your business. The fourth one actually is the most important. I see starting a social business is somewhat easy if you get one, two, and three right. Scaling is the hardest problem to solve. So how do you scale? How do you bring the right set of in your network? How do you bring the right funding? Sometimes the funding has to come through people, through universities, through governments. You know, it just is a combination of things. It's harder to solve the scaling problem in a social enterprise than it is in a for-profit enterprise. And that's where the magic is. And the last one that most people forget, for me, I keep at the top of my list, is what is your exit strategy? I don't want to get into a project that I can't get out of or that doesn't, and, and get out of simply means it is turned over to somebody else to run, to sustain, to grow, or to finish. So for example, we built a, for, uh, we built a nonprofit called Get Shift Done to enable jobs in the COVID age. Our interest was to always get out of it. People have to go back to work in the normal industry and we have to turn this nonprofit off. That exercise is important. You know, the thing that resonated out of those five for me was the local one. And it reminds me of our conversation with Kristen Richmond, who is the CEO of Revolution Foods. And they're the leader in healthy food um, in schools in America. They do tens of thousands of meals a week or a million. I don't know. It's a huge amount. Millions, yeah. So they're huge. And one of their secrets to success was to localize the food to the local culture. So like if it was a Hispanic neighborhood, the healthy food was like Hispanic or, you know, they bring the moms and grandmothers and other cooks into the kitchens to, to kind of use the family recipes. And that was like a, a core underpinning to be culturally sensitive to this notion. It wasn't just like, uh, hey, eat our you know, carrots or whatever other cultures think is healthy. So that was, that's a really interesting, I think, point is to, is, is to really be sensitive to that. And I think most, most organizations fail at that try to take one thing that doesn't fit in another local 
culture. That's why scaling beyond that is also complicated where you have to now morph, understand and pivot the larger thing. Yeah. Yeah. She'll, she'll tell you that. And it's definitely been her experience is complicated business to do all that different recipes in these different schools and different neighborhoods and so on based on local ingredients and everything. But yeah, it's, it's the only way. Anurag, your playbook of five points is golden and I'm sure all of our listeners will, will love it and, and take it to heart. Tell us about Get Shift Done. I mean, the name in itself just evokes uh, curiosity. So it's a, it's a fascinating, exactly a year ago, March 9th, actually, I get a call from my CEO of the food bank. So just so you guys know, the food bank distributes about, last year it gave about 75 million meals before COVID, right? So that's about 100 million pounds of product that have to be brought in, sorted and shifted. And that is done through about 30,000 volunteers that come into the facility and do it. The model would not work without the volunteers. So I got a call on March 9th saying, look, COVID is coming. Our volunteers have stopped coming and our need is increasing as well as how we distribute the food is getting more complex because we have to do it in pre-sorted boxes with social distancing. So the problem is becoming much more difficult without volunteers. On the next day, I was speaking to a friend of mine called Patrick Brandt, who runs a company called Shift Smart that I'm an investor on through the Perogen side, which basically brings matches people and work. And so we decided that, you know, we came up with an idea where we took his technology and we took this problem and brought it together where we said, let us go out and give a stipend to people that have been laid off. At that point, thousands and thousands of hospitality workers had been laid off, the first segment to get laid off. And let's put them to work to go back to work at the food bank and other nonprofits that need them and give them a $10 stipend by raising some money locally. And that's how this charity got formed called Get Shift Done. So really it was, and the first shift of people was amazing. You know, we asked for 50 people, 150 showed up at the food bank. They were super excited to work. Uh, The guy that I met first had taken two buses and a train to get there because it's so important for him to get back to the dignity of work. And then when they went to work, they were so excited because they were actually doing good and yet earning a little bit of money and feeling good about their day. So they would stay past their clock. They would clean up. They would come back. They were good. And they were twice as efficient as my volunteers, which is a side benefit, which I hadn't calculated for. So that's how Get Shift Done got born, which is how do we give people jobs? At that point, Patrick and I naively thought we'd be out of business at Get Shift Done in 16 weeks. A year later, the charity still exists. We started in North Texas. We grew it to about 11 cities, to about 100 nonprofits. We have moved about 55 million meals over the year. And unfortunately, the charity still exists because the problem hasn't gone away, COVID hasn't gone away, and people haven't fully gone back to work. That's incredible. And shows you know the power and the nexus of business and thinking about more than just profits and the ability to do good. Um, So thank you for sharing that. I cannot not touch on the fact that you are and have been a venture capitalist. And I think that your kind of five points fall in line with a lot of investing principles as well. And, And definitely kind of for me, kind of ring in that area of my brain. But just drawing some parallels, um, as a managing partner at Perot Jane, how has that informed your community work? Really, you told us about the power of entrepreneurship. Are there any other areas that you've been inspired from that career experience? Being at Perot Jane and also being, by the way, a partner for Ross Perot, you know, he is a person that is totally focused on community work. So he has been 
a mentor and a leader in the local community. And I've learned a lot. And I must tell you, a lot of my ability to go out and do the do things have, have come from sort of his leadership. So I don't want to take away from that. And because of the fact that both of us have come together, that community-centric organization is kind of part of our ethos that we want to build, right? The second thing is that we really want to just enable entrepreneurs. We want to tell entrepreneurs that if you have a dream, we're here to support you and help you along the path, whether it be social or for-profit. It doesn't matter to us, right? It, it's, it's enabling the entrepreneur to solve a set of problems that they encounter. Of course, in that problem, identify local focus, enable people to do it, have local knowledge so you deliver the product to what people need. You have to scale it with the right resources and ultimately you have to exit. The same principles apply. What do you think, Eva? Is it time for the rapid fire? I would love that. Let's do it. <laughs> Anurag, what book is on your nightstand right now? It's called The Goat, actually. And if you know what that is, right? It's a fascinating book. Basically, it talks about you know people that have a specific calling and have had lots of adversities, but have come out to be the top in their industry. It's something I draw inspiration from. I see a lot of parallels. I'm not going to suggest I'm top of the industry or anything like that, but I just see a lot of parallels for a lot of people. I find it an enthralling book and highly recommend it. Tom Brady is the goat. Tom Brady, exactly. <laughs> Tom Brady's there. So what yeah. is your go-to beverage in the morning? Coffee, tea, or caffeine-free? Black tea with almond milk. I'm very Indian. The only difference is I put almond milk instead of regular milk. <laughs> Name something that is giving you hope right now. It is our education system. So I think there's a lot of things that need to change about our education system. But if you go underneath that, we are enabling kids to just like learning, to work in teams and to help them with you know critical thinking skills and everything else and, and to be flexible and i think covid is helping the things like covid are helping them become flexible i think those three or four skills will carry them further in life than anything we can teach them in a classroom what's one trend you're watching right now in in your industry one of the areas that you're in all of my industries i'm seeing two things happen and so it's one trend but it, i just break it into two subparts Technology will help personalize whatever it is that you want. It'll be hyper-personalized in the future, right? So that's one trend. The backside of that trend is technology will also automate a lot of jobs. So I'm thinking about that, what that means to people around the world. McKinsey has said that maybe a billion people will lose their jobs. And I don't know if they'll lose their jobs or not, but what does it mean in terms of retraining people to quickly pivot from job to job as technology comes and changes things? Yeah, that's such an interesting one. It's the same thing people thought would happen with industrialization or coming off the farms, but we'll see. We'll see if this is different. I don't know if it's different. I just know that people will need to change, have the ability to go from job to job. I don't know if they'll get laid off completely or not. It's just yeah. a flexibility and retraining. Yeah. Do you have a favorite resource for staying up to date on your current events for your industry, whether it's healthcare or venture or community? Um, it could be a podcast or a website or a newsletter. You know, I use about 17 different sources. I find that each source has within a certain bias, either a geographical bias or a political bias. So I try to go to different places and you're finding a lot of this news media sort of have some sort of bias. Countries will have a certain bias because of where they are and what they do. And so I've, I've got about 17 different websites and different places where I go get information and triangulate that so I can build my own point of view. When I want to figure out what's going on, I check CNN and then I check Fox News and I just Kind you of have average. to get both, right? <laughs> Otherwise, it's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, I want to debrief with you every morning, Anurag. <laughs> it sounds like you filter a lot. 
All right. So you're obviously a busy guy. What's your favorite way to unwind? Time with my family and my dog. Travel. Travel hasn't been possible significantly yet. Hopefully that changes this year. So I look forward to getting back on the road. And the last one is watching cricket. My favorite sport is cricket. We're bringing cricket to the U.S. because I like it so much. But that's what I spend time doing. Cool. I'm going to throw in a question here. Where's the first place that you would travel to once you can after the pandemic? So even my favorite city in the world is London. I'm, I'm waiting to go back to London. They don't want me right now. They don't want any of us right now. But <laughs> we never can go back. And I know I have to go back to my family in India, of course. But on my way, I want to stop in London. Okay. Well, you've dispelled a lot of wisdom already, but or, or presented a lot of wisdom. What is one piece of advice that you would give to your 20-year-old self? Dare to dream. So I grew up in a, in a modest family and where my path was laid out for me. Go become an engineer. Go become a PhD. Go get a job. Go get this, right? And that was told to me because my parents didn't have the ability to take risk. And it took me a while before I could get the confidence and take the risk that I took. And eventually it worked out for me. So I would go back and tell myself, dare to dream. Go, go do it faster than I did. Well, thank you. And before we wrap up, since you just said go, 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 and to do it faster, I want to know what the next 10 years looks like for you, Anurag. What mark do you hope to leave on this world? Well, I have a motto that I live with, and I hope I can live by it before I die. And that's a very simple three words, just leave a legacy. So the question becomes, what is that? And, and I'm still working on it. I'm sure all of us are. And the next 10 years will be to spend more time on what that will be, what mark I will leave back in the world versus just the rat race. I have a lot more thinking to do, a lot more work to do in that. And I'd love any help that you guys can give me. I think about that all the time, all the time. Well, I can't give you any advice on that today because I haven't figured <laughs> it out either. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, you know, I think it's a really important part of contributing beyond yourself is what legacy do you want to leave? And the great thing is, is that I think all of us are view impact as very important in our lives. And I think it's also important to recognize what you've done, Anurag, and it's been so incredible to speak to you about all of your accomplishments. I'm really glad that we were able to get out some of the names, including Get Shift Done, North, North Texas Food Bank, and other organizations that we know have an incredible leader behind them in order to drive their success. So thank you so much for joining our conversation today. And even that, I felt so great when I spoke to you the first time. I feel like we're brothers and sisters of some kind. We talk the same language. We have the same passion. So was, I loved our, our conversations, and I hope to continue them as well. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been really great, super energetic and fun. Thanks for joining us, and have a great day. Bye, Anurag. Thank you. Once again, it's clear that a business leader with good intentions can create an impressive social, environmental, and ethical impact. There is always a way to put meaning behind the mission of a company, and we can all make a difference. You've taken the first step by listening to the Beyond Capital podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, go to beyondcapitalpodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter at EA Stevens. And follow me on Instagram at Conscious Investor. Until next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.